0: So there, there are so many implications of what this really cool, what looks like Google, a, a Google search box feature that becomes a chatbot. It's fun today, but it creates the mm-hmm. foundation for meaningful economic change over the next five to ten years.
1: What's up, HGI investors, and welcome back to Hypergrowth Investing. I'm Aaron Davis, and as always, pleased to be joined by investment analyst Luke Lango. Luke, how are we doing this week? Oh, uh, doing good,
0: Aaron. Doing good. Um, stock market is is taking a little bit of a step back here, trying to figure out what's going on. A lot of a lot of volatility, a lot of differing opinions, but uh, still feeling pretty good about the state of the market. Feeling pretty good about 2023. So optimistic as ever on my side of the ball. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing good, and I'm definitely looking forward to getting t- into your insights in just a few moments. If this is your first time joining us, Hypergrowth Investing is the weekly podcast that picks the brain of investment analyst, Luke. Lango. Each week, we take an in-depth look at emerging tech and investment innovations, automation, clean energy, inflation, the housing market, and more. Nothing is off limits. If you're joining us for the first time, we go up every Wednesday on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Google, wherever you choose to listen to your favorite podcast. So make sure to hit like and subscribe to get hypergrowth investing as soon as it goes up. Again, I'm Aaron Davis, educator, lifelong learner, and your proxy into the mind that is the Luke Lango. Okay, so to start things off this week, I want to talk about what many are calling the hottest tech product launch of our generation, ChatGPT OpenAI. Um, as some of our viewers may know, this AI research firm was founded by Elon Musk and other tech bigwigs in 2015, and they have since launched an AI chatbot called ChatGPT, which uh, consumers can interface with and ask questions, and it'll respond with very accurate, very human-like responses. It feels like we're actually talking to AI. Uh, Apparently, I'm reading stories that can even write essays, research papers, uh, solve physics and math problems, and even do investment research. Uh, It's all really profound stuff. Uh, So I guess what I want to ask you is, what does this all mean for AI stocks? Is this really the beginning of a brand new AI revolution or just another overhyped tech? And again, before you answer, maybe even bigger picture, is this really the start of an AI revolution? And what does it mean for us as a society? Are we going to get into an iRobot future?
0: Right, right. Yeah. So ChatGPT is a very uh, profound platform. Um, Basically, it's, it's a very large language model that's been trained by very complex AI algorithms. So, what it does is these AI algorithms go out Fetches text. It learns from those texts. It uh, understands those texts. Analyzes those te- analyzes those texts, and then it does that for every text on on the internet, basically. And from that, it becomes this all knowing, uh, human like AI personal assistant that can answer any number of questions. Not any question in the world. It is limited to text, but. I um, mean, it's not predictive and it's not really data, but it has a lot of knowledge that is quite mind blowing. So for example, people have used ChatGPT to debug their code. They'll copy and paste you know, a string of their code or the, the entire code into ChatGPT and ask ChatGPT, okay, hey, what's wrong? Why is this not working? Where's the bug? And then ChatGPT will work with them to find the bug and even write more efficient, even write a more efficient version of that code. So it's basically an AI code debugger. So cool, and it's you know free. You just create an account on OpenAI, say what you're using it for, and then yes, there's a rate limit, but you know you, you can do this for free. It's, it's fantastic. Um, it can write essays, it can write articles, it can write research papers. You can say, okay, ChatGPT. Um, Write me a a thousand word article on why SoFi stock is is a fantastic stock to buy or write me a 500 word essay on what quantum computing is and why it could change the world. And it will spit out in real time. You'll see the words pop on the screen as it's doing it. It'll take no more than a few seconds and boom, you have your 500,000 word essay on SoFi or quantum computing, whatever it may be. So it can write essays. It can write research papers. That's pretty profound. Um, It can teach you physics. It can teach you mathematics. It can help you solve a physics problem, help you solve a mathematics problem, help you solve a statistics problem. It can hold conversations about macroeconomics, you know, what, what is inflation really? What causes inflation? Um, is it M2 growth did, did, did wage, does wage growth have to come down in order for inflation to decelerate? You can have, ask those questions at chat GPT and have intellectual conversations with it and get to some, some really profound conclusions. So this thing um, which feels sentient is amazing. And when you extrapolate from it, what does that mean for the economy for society, when you have this AI model that can answer pretty much any question 95% of questions that has enormous implications, think about teachers. This in three to four years, AI will probably be able to teach any single course on any single topic. I'm not saying AI is going to fundamentally and fully replace all teachers and educators everywhere. No, not at all. We, you know, there's something to be said for in-person learning. There's something to be said for a lot of different things about having a human teacher, but it is going to have a significant impact in industry. And what it will ultimately do, I'm not sure. Does it replace half a teacher? Does it replace 20% and 10%? Does it just become an ultimate assistant for every teacher out there? I don't know, but it's going to do something big that industry. It's going to fundamentally reshape the way we learn topics, the way we learn uh, just elementary things like English or Spanish and you know, statistics, algebra, but even really complex topics like you know, the inner workings of inflation, it's going to fundamentally reshape how people learn in business school, people learn in med school, people learn everywhere. So that is a really profound impact. The global education issue is just a $10 trillion industry. Um, AI is going to fundamentally reshape how that works. Uh, think about investment research, what we do, Uh, A lot of what we do involves digging through 10 Ks, 10 Qs, looking at at filings, reading earnings reports, reading conference call transcripts and doing all that stuff, uh, creating financial models. That's that's a lot of what we do. OpenAI, specifically ChatGPT, can help us sort through all of that. Okay, let's go through this 10 K ChatGPT, you know, give me uh, all the instances where it looks like they're sounding positive about something, sounding negative about something. What are the biggest risks you see? Lot of a lot do Chat GPT um, will eventually be able to do all of that stuff. So it's going to fundamentally reshape investment research. And if you have an investment research firm that employs about ten analysts, maybe in the future you can get away with two analysts and one Chat GPT model. Um, so it, you know that that's labor replacement. That's labor automation. Um, When you think about performing surgeries, diagnosing diseases, different things like that, we're not at the level where you can send a picture to this thing in order to respond with what what you have. You know, I'll take a picture of my, uh, I don't know, burn that I just burned on, you know, making coffee or something. Uh, What should I do to this? Send a picture to it. We're not there quite yet, but what we have today is a very solid foundation for getting there within one or two years. That fundamentally reshapes telemedicine. How we diagnose diseases, how we get treatment, how we get help. That's AI powered visualization. Like that is very, very strong stuff. So I think that reshapes the entire medical market. Um, so there, there are so many implications of what this really cool, what looks like Google, a, a Google search box feature that becomes a chat bot. It's fun today, but it creates mm-hmm. a foundation for meaningful economic change over the next five to 10 years and i believe you know everything i'm getting at you can kind of connect the dots here is Oof. labor replacement is labor mm-hmm. right we and i've been warning about this for a long 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 time and it's partly why i am totally and completely unconcerned about inflation because mm-hmm. if you take a five ten year view on the economy inflation is the, like, we're going to want inflation because we are developing AI tools, AI products that are even today able to do a lot of jobs just as good as regular humans. And this technology is progressing exponentially. So in three years, four years, five years, those AI products are going to be able to do 50% Fifty percent jobs in the American economy better than most humans. That's a point where that you know that's a scary point for for the labor market where we're looking at massive job replacement, massive odd labor automation, and in that world, unemployment could maybe persistently be ten percent. Deflation is the problem, not inflation. So this is largely why I'm, I'm completely unconcerned with inflation. If you kind of connect the dots here, because the, these products that are being built are, um, I mean, they're job killers. They, they really are. And, uh, it's, it's, it's a sad reality, but I think the, the, the positive way of looking at it is, um, you know, this is not the first round of job killers we ever had when the industrial revolution happened. Um, that killed a lot of jobs as well. Machines replaced a lot of human labor at that point in time. And then we found ways to enhance our productivity and, and find economic efficiency in other realms that were more satisfactory. We didn't have to send people, you know, in, into very ugly situations where, that a machine could do. And now they could do something else, something better like art or whatever it may be. And so I think that with this software that's coming, it's gonna automate a lot of the things that sometimes we don't wanna do. A lot of us, as an investment analyst myself, I hate (laughs) learning through 10Ks and 10Qs. If I had an AI to do that for me, that'd be fantastic. So I think the the, the glass half full look here is AI is coming. It is going to take jobs. It is going to replace labor. It is going to have a bunch of job replacement going on. But the bulk of that replacement is going to be stuff that we just don't like to do already. And this is actually why I'm super bullish on low-level automation because – as much as there are, there's a whole bunch of people that that build homes, and a whole bunch of people that that are, are waiters, and a whole bunch of people that that work in in very manually intensive industries. I I don't think many people would call that very fun work, it's tough work, it's hard work, it's gritty work. And if we could have a machine do that for us, and then that laborer can go out and do whatever they're truly passionate about. Maybe it's sports, maybe it's music, maybe it's art, maybe it's something that they're really passionate about. I think society can reorient to reward that person financially, and they're going to be rewarded more uh, spiritually as well and emotionally as well. So I actually think that this AI revolution, while it sounds scary, um, will be a net positive for society. But this is, again, why I'm more bullish on the low-level automation side of things than on the high-level automation side of things.
1: Going back to uh, ChatGPT specifically, uh, you talked about how it's powered by these very complicated algorithms that are scouring the internet for all this text. What separates this technology from some of the AI technologies that we've seen already, like Siri or Alexa or Google? Um, So this this is more of a, a really robust language
0: learning model. So the, the AI algorithms aren't scanning the internet for text. Um, the AI algorithms are training the model once it reads a text. So it'll, it'll read, you know, a hundred, thousands of different texts on inflation and the AI models will train it with each read to better understand the topic of inflation and then hold a conversation with you or me about inflation. So what separates it from Siri, Alexa, all that stuff. One, the robustness and complexity of those training algorithms. They're significantly better. Two, it's ability to communicate with you on a dynamic real-time basis. So when you ask Siri a question, or you ask, uh, we have Google at our house. So, hey, Google, play a song. That's the end of the conversation. (laughs) Hey Google, mm-hmm. play it. Play um, play Kid Cudi. Hey Google, play Beach Boys. Right, it plays the song. Hey Google, next song. You are clearly talking to a robot, or machine that is just following commands. When you uh, when you interact with Chat GPT and you go on and you have a conversation, and it's in a thread. You are not clearly talking to a machine. You are talking to something that is talking back with you, that is having a conversation with you, that is challenging you in the way that you're challenging it. That is a big separation from Siri, Alexa, and all that stuff. And apparently, so the story on OpenAI, right, is OpenAI was founded in 2015 by Elon Musk and a bunch of other technology people. And then in 2019, it raised a bunch of money from Microsoft. So Microsoft holds a big stake in OpenAI. Now, Microsoft has had the Bing search business for a while, right? And everybody's like, why are you pouring all this money into Bing when you're just getting crushed by Google? Every year, every just <laughs> get crushed by Google. Like, no one uses, who uses Bing, right? Everybody uses Google. And then, you know, on, on mobile operating OS, you know, Bing is, is almost non existent too. So why are they doing Bing? This may be why, right? If you go yeah. interact with chat GPT, it feels a lot like just the next Google. Like if this mm-hmm. could get refined, it could pull, re- like right now, it doesn't pull real-time information. But if you integrate real-time information into this model, then it is Google on steroids. So maybe, maybe what Microsoft's play here is, and then rumors are starting to break that Microsoft is trying to build a super app to compete with Google and Apple. Um, It's not, it hasn't been built yet, but there are rumors they're thinking about building it, maybe working on building it, not really sure what the rumors um, are pointing to, but you kind of connect the dots here and it seems like, okay, what Microsoft is trying to do is become the ai leader and from that ai ai leadership build a whole series of things maybe that's a better google maybe that's a super app who knows what it's going to be but that that's the power of the ai so i think that's the really um kind of near-term implication of chat gpt is who owns chat gpt really i mean it's pretty much microsoft microsoft is a big stake so the person or the entity that's probably gonna be able to commercialize chat gpt first in a meaningful way is probably going to be microsoft and for me when i think about the most obvious commercialization route for chat gpt it is through being with search as a competitor to google so i think that's that's a really meaningful implication for it um but th- that is the big difference between you know a siri and alexa and and chat gpt it is like taking elementary basketball players and then you're looking at the nba it, it's that big of a jump and <laughs> you'll understand for those that are listening to this that have played with chat gpt If you have every, you know, almost everybody has Siri on their phone. Uh, Mm -hmm. Most people have Alexa or Google in their house. Do this, do this experiment. Talk to Siri, talk to Alexa, talk to Google for, you know, 10 minutes. And then immediately (laughs) after that, go to ChatGPT, create an account, and have a conversation, that same conversation with ChatGPT. And you can just for yourself judge the difference. It is, like I said, elementary school basketball to the nba it's that big of a problem. um and so i think it's really profound from economically speaking societally speaking uh, it's a really really big deal
1: okay so with this new profound technology uh and talking about ai as a whole we got to talk about automation you already kind of mentioned it ai is a critical ingredient right. to automation and right. you've been bullish on automation stocks specifically low level automation stocks does chat gpt make you more bullish on those stocks
0: uh yes entirely so entirely so as you said um what is the the automation where automation hardware is what we're talking about um wh- what is that well it's just robots with ai software So there's two ingredients to that puzzle, the the hardware, the robots, the mechanics, mechanical engineering, and then the software engineering side of it, which is the AI algorithms and all that stuff. So that's what automation is. It's hardware with software. The ChatGPT launch confirmed to me that, which is something that I've already known for a while, the AI software is there. Like it is very, very, very good. And the remaining challenges are mostly actually on the hardware side of things, which and the, those are no challenges to be laughed at. They're very significant, but we're also tackling those and costs are coming down on those. So I see the whole automation movement really having a lot of drivers right now. The software development is fantastic. We're seeing that AI software is strong enough to do a lot of human related tasks the hardware is getting significantly better. Look at a company like Symbotic, what they're doing with Walmart warehouses. Look at a company like Miso, what they're doing inside of restaurants with flipping burgers. Look at what Chili's is doing with robot waiters. Look at what Neuro is doing with robot delivery trucks, um, pizza delivery trucks, pizza delivery cars. You know, there are so many advancements happening on the hardware side of the things, coupled with the software development right now. Again, that creates a foundation for automation technology to become robustly adopted in 2023. Especially, I mean, let's look at the labor market, right? Again, timing is everything with these technologies, right? That you not only have to have the technical developments and advancements happen, but you have to have a need for it in the economy, in the marketplace. When the technological capability converges on a significant urgency, a significant need, that's when you get booms. That's when you get booms. And that's what we're going to have in 2023 with automation because we're seeing all of this AI hype right now on the software side of things. We're seeing hardware automation get really, really, really strong and have some really good adoption over the past 6 to 12 months. And now we're going into 2023 where everybody's uncertain about the economy. The labor market is still somehow adding jobs. And that's because of the labor shortage on the low level side of the, um, of the labor market where you know, the retail industries, the services industries are hiring left and right because they need to hire left and right. So you have labor shortage needs or labor shortage problem that creates a need for more labor at the same time that automation can be the fix to
1: that problem.
0: So Mm -hmm. I think 2023 is gonna have really robust adoption of automation hardware, automation software. We've talked about this a lot in these very calls. And The launch of ChatGPT to me only reinforces my bullishness on those stocks. There are are a handful of stocks out there in the market right now. I, I can't really share a lot of their names or go in depth about them. But there are names like UiPath that is, you know, they do more high-level automation, but they got little software robots. I think that's going to be a big thing. in in 2023, they just reported a very strong quarter. The stock popped on that. Um, Like you mentioned, Symbotic, you know, that's a company that's automating warehouses. They got the Walmart contract. Uh, Miso in the private markets, that's a a fabulous company that's working on uh, labor automation in the uh, restaurant industry. So I think that there are a handful of investments out there, both public and private, that offer investors a lot of opportunity in 2023, but also beyond because AI and automation are not going to just transform the way the economy works in 2023. They're going to transform the way the world works over the next five to 10 years. These are long-term investments with major upside potential. And um, and even a name like Microsoft becomes very interesting, right? Because again, they have that big stake mm-hmm. in open AI. They're reportedly developing the super app and they have you know, Bing, which gives them a very clear commercial route for open AI if and when that, that does happen. So um, even a name like Microsoft becomes really interesting AI play here. But long story short, I think now is a great time to start getting bullish, positioning yourself for an AI boom, because it's coming. And it is the solution to inflation. It is the solution to inflation. AI. Okay, so think think about this. How, how does inflation start? Inflation starts when you have too much demand and too little supply demand per supply equals inflation, basically. So if demands up and is down, that's how you get inflation. And that's a big reason why we had inflation in 2021. And it's extended in 2022. Demand is very strong, fueled by you know, easy money policies and pent-up demand from the pandemic. And then you had uh, very little supply because supply chains got broken during the pandemic. It took a while to get back up and running, especially off in China. So you had far too much demand for far too little supply. But what does AI do? AI takes a denominator of that equation and it makes it almost infinite for a lot of things. Mm-hmm. You can produce... I'm going to imagine in in a year or two, I really believe in the next 12 months, AI is going to be able to produce an original song like that. Mm -hmm. You give it some inputs, you know, some beats, some tones, some inspirations, and boom, it'll spit out an original song for you. And it'll be able to do this every single second. It'll be able to do 100 a second. So I think we're going to have AI that is ready to, in a year or two, produce thousands of songs every single minute on command. The supply of songs just became infinite, basically. Supply <laughs> infinite. Look at look at the images. Uh, you know, OpenAI also launched yeah. Dolly, which is, you know, mm-hmm. ChatGPT is the chatbot. Dolly is an illustrator, mm-hmm. an AI-powered illustrator, that you give it a prompt and it pulls from a bunch of images and then creates its own unique image based on the prompt you give it. Give me a picture of a monkey on the moon in the style of Van Gogh, and boom, it'll give you like six or seven images of a, or original pictures, drawings of a monkey on the moon in the style of Van Gogh. So now we have the ability to produce thousands of original images in a minute. The supply of images just became – of artwork just became infinite, right? Mm-hmm. Th- essays, articles, you know, uh, uh, at investorplace.com, they, they produce a lot of articles, 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 articles. Well, you know what, all those articles cost money, there's, there, there, there's a mm-hmm. demand to that, you know, we have to get the paid for those articles to be to be put out. So if we have an AI thing, then all of a sudden, we can AI write articles, the AI can write articles, and the supply of articles just became infinite without, you know, much expenditure. So that's mm-hmm. what AI does. Is AI takes a denominator of the demand supply equation and blows it up, makes it enormous. So in a world where AI has the ability to produce infinite amounts of things, inflation shouldn't be a problem. Now, where you run into some challenges is when you start making, you know, hardware things, so non-software things. So you start making cars. You start so- making. <clears throat> yeah. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, so that that actually uh, brings a question for me is you talked about how uh, chat GPT was like going from, uh, you know, schoolyard basketball to the NBA. What is the and you talked about how automation needs, you know, a combination of software and hardware is hardware making that same evolutionary jump that AI is making right now or, or what does that look like in the future? And what companies are are doing that kind of uh, hardware manufacturing right now?
0: Yes, hardware is making that jump. And the hardware jumps are actually more on the economic side of things. That, To my understanding okay. of a lot of the automation industries is that the hardware is there and they can do it, but it just costs so much money to make a good version of a robot. You know, iRobot, the little Roomba vacuums, that was such a... Even though it wasn't a massive commercial success and it was a niche market, in the robotics world, engineers, mechanical engineers look at that and they just idolize the iRobot story because they were able to build good enough robots that could actually do useful tasks at prices that were very cheap. You know, Roomba vacuums are a couple hundred bucks. So that really is the huge hurdle on the hardware side of things. It's not a competency issue. It's an economics issue. It's a cost issue. And the cost of a lot of those things, a lot of the input costs there have been plunging. They took a brief pause from that plunge in 2021, 2022, and now they're replunging again. So I have a lot of confidence that the hardware side of this problem is getting solved very rapidly. When you talk about sensors, like a big thing is with, with robots and the hardware side of things is just sensors if theoretically you can make a a robot on the hardware side of things, do anything if you have enough sensors, but sensors cost money, right? So you can either solve that by somehow making better sensors or the cost of sensors just keeps falling. So eventually you can put 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 sensors (laughs) on a robot. And it still only costs a room of action. It only costs a couple hundred bucks or, you know, a big Miso kitchen robot only costs a couple thousand bucks or, you know, The costs come down to a point where it makes sense that you can sell one robot with all these sensors on it, and it still is economically viable for the customer and for the the producer of the robot. So um, that's where we are. Sensor costs are plunging and plunging and plunging and plunging and plunging. And this is a big thing in in, uh, autonomous vehicles. Where autonomous vehicles rely on a bunch of sensors to work appropriately. And as the cost of sensors have come down, the capabilities of these cars have gone up and, up and 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 up. And coupled with the software advancements, again, the stage is set for the hardware to be good enough, the software to be good enough, and then we create ultimate AI products that can automate a lot of things, including driving. So, um, Who are the major players on the hardware side of things? I mean, you got the chip makers, that's big. You got the GPU makers like NVIDIA. Uh, I think they're a huge hardware AI play. And then you have LiDAR sensor makers. You know, that's big in... self-driving right now, but I think it's going to be big in all industrial automation. So I think a lot of these robots are going to be used in building homes and factories and all that stuff. I think a lot of those robots are going to eventually be equipped with LiDAR sensors as they become cheap enough. So when you look at a LiDAR sensor player like Luminar, for example, um, they're hyped up as, and they view themselves as a self-driving play. But the reality for me, big picture is they're an automation play. That their LIDAR mm-hmm. can be equipped on cars, but can also be equipped on planes, it'll be equipped on uh, trains, it can be equipped on uh, ships, it can be equipped on um, helicopters, it can be equipped on, you know, outside of the transportation vertical, on robots in kitchens, on robots that are, so imagine you have, you have a robot that, that's a waiter, right? And that this is what Chili's has, mm-hmm. Chili's has robot waiters. In the future, I think everybody's mm-hmm. going to have robot waiters. You want those robot waiters to have LIDAR sensors. Because you don't want them Mm -hmm. to bump into things. You don't want them to hit people. You want them to be as accurate and as unintrusive as possible. So if a LiDAR sensor only costs, I don't know, a hundred bucks, then yeah, I'm going to throw it on that robot so it doesn't hit any customers (laughs) ever. So from that sense, you know, a company like Luminar can be a LiDAR supplier into the restaurant automation industry. And so that's where I think the hardware side of things gets really compelling and exciting is it's the, the components for automation are pretty universal. All Mm. of these things are going to need GPU chips. All of these things are going to need LIDAR in my, in my opinion, all these things are going to need the same thing. So if you find a company that is making a really good version of a critical automation component, to me, that stock's a mega winner, a mega long-term winner. Um, and then that's what I think you have with Luminar. Um, if, uh, you know Nvidia obviously has 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 a lot of upside potential. Um so I I like the hardware side of things as well, but I think it's, it's 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 both components. You need hardware and software and it's the combination of those two that creates really powerful solutions. And I'm I'm very excited about those solutions over the next uh, I mean I think it's going to happen much more rapidly than a lot of people believe. So in the next 1 to 2 hmm. years I think we're going to see a lot of automation
1: come into the fold. Okay. Uh so Oddly, talking about all this AI has me thinking about space, and that's because I just saw mm-hmm. that one of your favorite space docs, Planet Labs, yep. just signed an agreement with Accenture to build AI powered geospatial intelligence tools. First off, what does that even mean? <laughs> and perhaps more broadly, how does AI tie into space docs and the whole space industry? Right, now, that's, that's a great point. So a uh, great question.
0: AI is powered by data. And the more data that an AI model has, the better that AI is going to be. It's all about data. Data is is the currency of artificial intelligence. Uh, And the more currency an AI model has, the richer or better that model is. What does space allow us to do? Space allows us, if we have satellites up there, Capturing data, producing data, it's an entirely new data vertical. It's an entirely new data field. It's an entirely new data input. It's a whole extra universe of data that nobody else has that we didn't even know existed. We operate on terrestrial data. And yet there's this whole extraterrestrial data that we can now you know, produce and, and learn from. So that's the tie in with AI that a company like Planet Labs or any company that's out there doing satellite imagery that has satellites up there capturing data of some sort is producing new verticals of data, new streams of data. Those streams of data can be tied into AI models that are on, on Earth working today to make them better than ever think about self-driving there's a a lot of the inputs of self-driving a lot of data has to do with maps data right but maps data is mostly terrestrial if we have truly dynamic real-time maps satellite maps data we have satellites up there orbiting the earth that are producing data about the earth's surface about the earth's roads about you know the um the the traffic and in a certain area, if they have real dynamic data of that, we can stream that to the AI model inside a car and make that car infinitely better at self-driving. So that's just one particular application here. Another one is with, you know, so what Planet Labs is doing is AI powered powered geospatial intelligence with respect to um, kind of saving environments and uh, producing better outcomes for, for the Earth. And that's a really big thing we can understand, okay, where exactly are the carbon emissions happening? Where exactly are carbon footprints the heaviest? How can we and then by answering those questions via these, this new data stream produced by planet lab satellites, we can create optimized solutions to reduce carbon output, uh, reduce our carbon footprint. So there's a lot of ways that AI and space tie together because space creates new data feeds for AI models to become significantly better. And that's part of the reason why I think the data being produced in space and that will be produced over the next few years in space is going to be of exceptional value. They're not just going up there taking pictures of, you know, the surface of the earth. They're going up there and collecting millions and millions and millions of data points that only they can collect. There's a huge mode around that data collection. Takes a lot of work to build a satellite, launch it, put it in space, operate it, and stream data back to earth. That takes a lot of work. There's a huge mode around that data collection. So companies that already have satellites up there collecting all that data, they have unique data. No one else is going to be able to get. Very few others are going to be able to get, which they can sell for a huge premium. So I really like the leading space stocks for their ability to sell into AI industries over the next three, five, seven, ten 10 years.
1: Okay, well, continuing this theme of, of AI, and you've already kind of touched on it a little bit, but I think it's bears worth repeating, mostly because it's probably the hottest industry right now. Is as I as AI gets better and better, what does it mean for EV stocks? Um, you know, what does it mean for solid state battery makers like QuantumScape and robotics powered car maker makers like Arrival? Right. So we kind of talked about this with with quantum computing,
0: right? Um, Mm-hmm. That, you know, quantum computing is being used in the electric vehicle industry to do two things. One, create better simulations of battery chemistry so that we can create better batteries. Okay, we need 22% lithium, you know, fifteen 15.4% uh, iron, whatever it may be, right? Like, we can now adjust those and run simulations and adjust the mixes so that we create the optimal mix of Uh, elements to create the best battery possible. So that's one way quantum computing is helping and AI can help in the same way, right? AI can run those simulations much more quickly than a human can with human input. So you have an AI model that can run all these simulations and produce an output to create a better battery. So that's one way that it's working. The other way that quantum computing is helping which AI can help as well, is in simulating, running the same simulations, but for a different reason. Not for the reason of creating a better battery, but rather for the reason of, okay, can we manufacture lithium without mining the earth? Like, is there a way that we can take really common elements and from those common elements make lithium? In which case we would create an abundance of lithium, right? And this goes back to my thing of of inflation. My inflation should never be a problem in the world of, of competent AI. Let's say that does happen, right? So right now, one of the reasons that electric vehicles have become a little bit more expensive is because the cost of lithium has become a lot more expensive um and some people believe that the cost of curve of electric vehicles will start to flatten out because there is a shortage of lithium and there's a limited supply of lithium in the world and therefore the lithium prices demand goes up and supply remains limited that the prices will go higher that'll make it exponentially more difficult for electric vehicles uh, car prices to move lower over time and i get that argument but here let's insert the world of ai if ai is truly able to come in here and figure out a way to make lithium or manufacture a lithium replacement from, I don't know, copper or from something super abundant like copper, then boom, the supply of lithium in the world goes from super limited, super geographically concentrated to abundant, to almost infinite. And that's the power of AI in fighting inflation. Again, On all the software side of things, we went over. It can create all the content in the world, you know, boom, 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 boom. On the hardware side of things, it can create things much more quickly. But more importantly, it can figure out ways to make things without needing things that are in short supply, whether that's lithium, whether that's, you know, whatever it may be. It can, in theory, figure out a way to create that without needing the stuff that's in limited supply, instead make it from things that are in abundance, and therefore the supply of that thing becomes infinitely greater, supplies greater, demands the same, prices of it collapse. So this is part of the reason I think electric vehicles take over the world, this is part of the reason why I think all these kind of exponential technologies, solar for example, are gonna just grow very, very, very quickly with the introduction of AI. AI is an accelerant for exponential progress across the board. You name a hyper growth vertical and emerging technological megatrend, you put AI into it and it just, it goes from 40 miles an hour to hundred miles an hour. That's the sort of situation we're talking about. Um, and yeah, so from that perspective, I think that um, AI applied to electric vehicles is a complete game changer for the industry Uh, And for EV makers in general, it's Rivian leveraging AI is going to allow them to figure out how to make an electric truck for $40,000, $35,000. That's not baked into the forecast. Um, it's going to allow Tesla to figure out how to make millions and millions and millions of cars a year. It's going to allow Lucid to figure out how do we make a 1,000-mile, 1,200-mile, 1,500-mile battery, right? So it's going to unlock some significant advancements that I'm very excited about for the electric vehicle industry, and it ultimately is going to be the, the nail in the coffin for, for gas-powered cars.
1: So in the scenario that you describe, you you have uh, you know a combination of, of AI and quantum computing and, and maybe even hardware that's could potentially manufacture a lithium replacement. Does that change the? It obviously will change the demand for lithium moving forward, but does that change the price of lithium?
0: I don't. I don't think no. It doesn't change the demand of lithium. Lithium demand, I think, is going to remain very strong, very constant, and will grow very steadily over the next ten years. What you just said what it'll do is it will increase the supply of lithium. So if demand remains constant and strong and the supply of lithium goes from a shortage to a surplus, then the prices of lithium Mm -hmm. will will collapse and that will allow for the prices of electric vehicles to collapse. It will allow the prices of battery energy storage systems to collapse. It will allow for the prices of, well, solar panels don't use lithium, but the same science can be the same process can be applied to the inputs for uh, solar panels and allow the cost of solar panels to collapse. So I think the cost of climb curves of those emerging technologies, clean, clean energy technologies, um, a lot of people called the pause in 2021, 2022, a, uh, the end of a cost of Klein curve. No, I think it's a pause before the cost of climb curve really starts to fall <laughs> dramatically uh, in an accelerated well, fashion.
1: I guess where I was kind of going with that question was more along the lines of where where does that line stand where why not gold? why not find a replacement for gold? And then does that change the value of currency? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess you could. I just, I just don't see the,
0: the economic value of, of... I mean, people are doing this because in people are doing this with respect to lithium and with respect to electric vehicles because if I figure out a way to, to do that, to manufacture lithium or a lithium replacement without needing actual lithium... Boy, oh boy, oh boy, I can make a lot of electric vehicles at a very low price and I can sell them and make a ton of money. There's massive economic incentive to do that. There's massive economic incentive to do that with solar panels. There's massive economic incentive to do that battery resources because the demand for them is significant. And if you can figure it out, you're going to sell a lot of them at very low prices and become, if you're the person selling it, you know, the potential billionaire. Um, so the economic incentives to do it are are significant. I'm not sure the economic incentives in with gold are that significant because gold is is not it's not an input for a lot of things anymore. like gold was uh, an input for uh, semiconductors for a while, but that's not true anymore. So gold is just gold it's not an input to any sort of really usable real world item. whereas lithium is an input to pretty much all of these very real world usable items. So I think that's why you're seeing uh ai quantum computing all these emerging technologies be applied to um to lithium and and not
1: to to other elements does it change uh the the companies that are involved in lithium mining then
0: yeah, I mean, yeah, so that, that's where my head went, right? That's exactly where my head went. It's like, okay, so mm-hmm. the thesis on lithium mining okay. is, is they're going to mine a bunch of lithium and they're going to sell all that lithium. And, uh, you know, they got a moat because they're the only ones that can mine it. And and that that thesis makes a lot of sense in a world where AI doesn't come up with an alternative solution. Uh, and I think... It's not a matter of if; it's a matter of when that AI will be sure. able to come up with an alternative. And and the question is just really around when: is it two years? Is it five years? Is it ten years? Is it twenty years? Is it fifty years? Like we don't really know. So um, I think the shot clock is ticking for lithium miners. I think that eventually we will come up with a replacement where we won't need lithium miners. But until that happens, we're gonna need them. So. And I don't really have an outlook on the timeline for it. I, I know that it's a very complex problem. It's got, probably going to be one of the last dominoes to fall in the AI revolution, but it is a domino that's going to fall. And whether or not that's five years, 10 years, it's probably not two years. So I think you're probably looking at a five to 15 year timeline. And, you know, on the shorter end, if it's on the shorter end of that, then lithium mining stocks look terrible here. If it's on the longer end of that, then lithium mining stocks look great here. So it kind of all depends on, on when it happens. But th- that is one of the reasons I, I struggle to get super bullish on lithium mining stocks. I hate investing in things where I know the terminal value is eventually going to be zero. And mm-hmm. on, on mining stocks, lithium mining stocks, I, I'm pretty sure the terminal value there is eventually going to be zero because AI is going to figure out a way to better to create a, a better version of lithium without needing actual lithium. Um, and that, that part okay. lays into a bull thesis on maybe something like copper mining stocks, because if mm-hmm. whatever replacement they do come up with uh, for lithium is probably going to involve some other metal, a very common metal. And the one that's, I think of, that's pretty much in everything and input for everything is copper. And there's a lot of copper out there. So if we do come up with something that's a replacement for lithium and that replacement includes copper, then demand for copper source. So I think copper miners look a little bit better to me than, than lithium miners based on this, this long-term outlook of AI eventually figuring out a way to, to make lithium without needing real lithium.
1: Okay, uh, just kind of keeping this AI theme going, uh, I have to ask with some of the discussions we've had over the last few months, does AI have any application in fintech? Could it help SoFi or how about Upstart?
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, AI is going to impact all industries of all sorts. And yeah, the f- fintech industry is definitely one of them. Upstart's obviously using AI for uh, credit pricing. And I think, that's, um, uh, I think that's a valid and legitimate effort. Uh, whether or not Upstart is executing it correctly remains to be seen. Again, they come up with these models in a low rate environment. Now we're in a high rate environment. Obviously, you got to stress test it. Let's see, you know, how their models perform over the next three, six, nine months before we kind of say, okay, this is the company that's figured out AI powered um, lending. Um, let's let's see how their models actually hold up. Uh, because again, part of the the thing of AI is saying, okay, we're going to use AI to do this. Great, good dream. Now execute it. Show me that it actually works. Show me the model is legit. That's why ChatGPT was a big thing. Everybody's talking about AI powered chatbots for a while, AI powered personal assistants. Again, like you said, we all have Siri, we all have Alexa, we all have Google. Yet nobody was that impressed because it sounded like you're talking to a dumb machine. But chat (laughs) GPT launched and you go and talk to it and you're like, oh, this is execution. This is execution of AI applied to conversation. This is it. So um, upstart, we have to figure out, okay, is this it or are they, the Siri, the Alexa, the Google – or is a chat GPT. We have to see mm-hmm. what the results bear out over the next few quarters in a high rate environment, slowing economic environment to see if they're chat GPT or Alexa. Um, and then depending on where they are, then you can make a call on stock. With respect to SoFi, yeah, AI powered um, uh, can do a lot for them. I think that AI, for me, the, the thing that I'd come to first is obviously AI powered lending, they could get into that game. But I'd be more excited about AI powered investing that you know, there are a bunch of apps out there that use artificial intelligence to create portfolios for people and just auto invest for them. And if SoFi can integrate that, you know, some AI powered investing feature into their app, their super app, their FinTech super app, that's a game changer. You know, That's a game changer. I can go in there and I can have my savings account, my checkings account, and they have an auto investor that can invest in both cryptos and stocks based on AI recommendations. Like, that that'd be a game changer as soon as that happens i'm out of business so um i think that uh, you know but that, that, that's the thing is i think we do have to all look at we'll always at, have this podcast though so there you go we have the podcast right until we i mean but even that like you're talking about the deep fake images and the deep fake videos and all that stuff like that's why mm-hmm. you know when they have like videos of mm-hmm. there's like one about tom cruise right i don't know I don't follow the deep fake stuff, but I do know there's a bunch of deep fake stuff out there where they're creating images and videos of people that were not actually there doing things. So maybe who knows? Maybe in six months mm-hmm. we're doing a deep we're not that important, Aaron. But maybe in six months they're doing a deep fake stuff <laughs> on our podcast, <laughs> uh, doing doing something crazy or weird or wild or whatever. I don't know, but that's what you get really all this AI stuff makes you sit down and think, okay is what I do valuable? And if not, what can I do that will be valuable? And I think when we sit Mm -hmm. down and have those questions and answer those questions, we're going to find that it's going to be the creative industries and the ones that require a lot of originality that are going to survive an AI um, revolution. And I think that's really good for society. Again, glass half full. I'm a glass half full thinker because the more original we are, The more we promote original thought, I just think that's the better for society. And right now, I don't think society promotes a lot of original thought, I think society just the way capitalism is constructed, the way the economy is constructed, we have a lot of people that just clock in clock out and there's not an original thought going on throughout their entire workday. And they're not incentivized to have original thoughts, and they're told not to have original thoughts. AI is going to replace jobs that don't have original thoughts which means that everybody now is going to be financially incentivized to go and have original thoughts. And I think that's a really good thing for society in a, you know, 50, 100 year window. So in any event, there's there's my big optimistic take on it. I don't think it's an iRobot future. I think it's it's much more utopian than that
1: all right well that's a ton of ai and tech talk and i could i could easily talk to you all day about all of this stuff but let's circle back to the broader markets uh give us a, an update there we're seeing uh the october and november rally on wall street unfold uh you know stocks have taken a step back the past few days uh is this start of the bear market rally dying or are we still due for a santa rally right yeah so um
0: the market itself is not not behaving great right now. Um, we ran into that downturn resistance. We ran into the 200-day moving average. We did actually clear the 200-day moving average on the S&P 500, which is very bullish because if you look at it, we spent six months below the 200-day, crossed above it. And historically speaking, when you spend six months below the 200-day and cross above it, normally the next 12 months are very positive for stocks. But ever since we crossed above it, we immediately closed right below it again. The next day, we got rejected at that downturn resistance line of 2022. The VIX is below 20, and that's the pattern stocks have done all year. The pattern stocks in all year is that they've run into the, the downtrend resistance line, 200-day moving average. And then the VIX dropped below 20. And then, boom, the bear market rally ended and stocks collapsed. And we've done that twice now. It looks like we're going in for a third time here. And we, so th- that's not a very bullish setup. The technicals do not look great. Um, we've given back all of the gains since the Powell speech. We're now below where we were before the Powell speech. Um, so it, it's not looking great from a technical basis. But – What I Well, and I think that you have to listen to that. The market wants to go lower here. It's probably going to go a little bit lower in the short term. But where my confidence stems from is that we're going lower on technical drivers. Yet when we rally, we rally on fundamental drivers. And fundamentals trump technicals, right? Think about when we rallied. We rallied really big after the CPI report because the CPI report was really soft, showed inflation was slowing. We rallied really big after the PPI report confirmed that. We rallied after the ADP employment report showed that job hiring is slowing dramatically. We rallied big after Powell came and had a speech and basically said, we're going 50. We're slowing down our pace of rate hikes. We acknowledge that rate hikes have a lag effect. We're probably going to slow down in 2023. You know, we're rallying big on fundamental drivers. We're dropping this week. Why are we dropping? Technicals. We ran into a resistance line. We retook the 200-day, then closed below it vix is below 20 those are technical reasons to sell so we're rallying on fundamentals falling on technicals that is a completely different setup than what we had in the previous bear market rallies that we were rallying on technicals and false hope for fundamental improvement but we actually have real fundamental improvement right now one inflation is crashing by every single metric you look at inflation is falling and every leading indicator of inflation is crashing. So inflation has fallen out of bed. That's a big thing. Two, the Fed is now slowing its pace of rate hikes. Throughout 2022, the Fed was increasing or stable at its pace of rate hikes at 75 basis points. So we flipped now from getting bigger with the rate hikes to getting smaller with the rate hikes. Three, the Fed's tone is shifted. The Fed's tone was more aggressive, more aggressive, more aggressive, more aggressive throughout 2022. Now we're in late 2022 and the tone has shifted to less aggressive, less aggressive, less aggressive. So that's a big shift. Four, treasury yields soared throughout 2022. When I look at yields now, I think they're right about 3.5, they're crashing. So yields are crashing now too. So that's a big reversal. So when I, the, the labor market was strengthening, strengthening, strengthening throughout 2022. Now it's weakening throughout 2023. So when I look at the fundamental trends underlying stocks, what I see is actually very strong, bullish trends, not weak trends. I understand stocks are taking a step back here for technical reasons, but so long as the fundamental drivers remain positive and constructive, I think stocks do soar in 2023. The risk here is that the Fed doesn't listen to these fundamental drivers, stays hot, and we walk into a deep recession. But I don't think that happens. I'm very confident that that will not happen. A strong recession should be avoided here for two reasons. One, the economy is actually really strong. Yes, the economy is directionally negative right now. Every single metric you look at, we're slowing down. But we're slowing down from a really 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 strong pace case in point the u.s economy added has added so far this year i believe 4.3 million jobs that's the second biggest year for job creation ever in the u.s economy's history only about 15 or so times before has the u.s economy added more than 3 million jobs in a year Every time, except one time, the economy did not fall into a recession the next year. Basically, when you have jobs growth, as much jobs growth as we've seen in 2022, when you have a big job growth year like that, the the economy doesn't tend to fall into a recession the next year. Only one time, again, I, I don't know the exact number. I believe it's at the 15, four, it's somewhere in the 10 to 15 range. But only one time of all those 10 to 15 times did the economy fall into recession the next year. And that one time it did was in the early 1970s. And in the year it did, 1973, inflation went from 3.6% to about 7, 8, 9% by the end of the year. So inflation accelerated the next year. And that's why um, the economy fell into recession even after a year of big jobs growth. But here we are. We have the opposite dynamic going on. Inflation is going to crash in 2022. So when you look at something like the situation we have right now, huge jobs growth with falling inflation, that's a situation that 100% of the time in the history of the U.S. economy has not produced a recession the following year. So, I, yes, the economy is slowing, but again, it's slowing from such strong levels that it should be able to withstand rate hikes slowing in 2023 without falling into a deep recession. So I don't think a deep recession is warranted by the economic strength uh, that I'm seeing in the data right now, and that we've seen in the data over the past 12 months. Number two, this slowdown is purely Fed-induced, okay? This is not a slowdown brought on by a pandemic. This is not a slowdown brought on by Mm. a financial contagion. This is not a slowdown brought on by um, a a dot-com stock market crash. This is a slowdown brought on by the Fed hiking rates. That's it, pure and simple. But the Fed can undo that. So if we have a Fed-induced slowdown, then it reasons that if you change the input, the Fed, and it becomes a (laughs) positive input, so the Fed goes from hiking rates to cutting rates or stops hiking rates, then presumably that Fed-induced slowdown stops and you either get a Fed-induced stabilization or a Fed-induced rebound. So for those two reasons, I think a deep recession is off the table in 2023. And in the absence of a deep recession, the fundamental data strongly implies stocks go higher next year. Falling inflation tends to be very positive for stocks. When the Fed stops hiking rates, you tend to have a very positive reaction by stocks. When yields start to fall without a deep recession, you tend to get a very positive reaction from stocks. So the fundamental data is shaping up in a way that tells me. The only way we actually crash further in 23 is if we get a deep recession, and the data I'm looking at suggests the odds of a deep recession next year are pretty limited. So I like the risk reward setup here for stocks going into 2023. Um, and if we do get a deep recession, I think that deep recession will be fast and furious. That it'll be it'll look like <laughs> March 2020 crash. Where we kind of, oh, whoops, we slip into a recession and then boom, the Fed cuts rates, you get the QE, everything comes in and then boom. And if we do get that, the trajectory of stocks, in my opinion, will be a steep drop in the first half of 2023, followed by a bigger rally in the second half of 2023, where net net, even in that situation, I think stocks in in December 2023 are higher than they are in December 2022. So from where I sit, I really think there's a significant probability that regardless if we just steadily rally into the end of 23 or crash and then rally, between December 22 and December 23, stocks will be higher. I'm a a person who likes to hold stock for at least a year. So Mm -hmm. I think stocks in a year are going to be significantly higher Then I'm going to be buying stocks today. And that's the way I'm looking at things. And I think we're seeing a lot of good opportunities in the market for multi-year investors. A lot of great companies are on sale. I'd be taking advantage of it, regardless of all the, the, the panic, the seemingly panic that's happening on Wall Street right now
1: okay so you're bullish going into 2023 mm-hmm. uh you've previously previously expressed optimism on enterprise software stocks names like atlas zscaler salesforce etc um but i've seen a lot of these stocks get whacked recently on quarterly earnings should we be worried about those types of stocks going into
0: 2023 no i okay absolutely love software stocks going into 2023. And actually we are in the process of reorienting our portfolios to be very software heavy going into 23. Now the bare thesis on software stocks is that economy's slowing, enterprises are cutting budgets, and therefore they're not spending as much on enterprise software, which is causing revenue deceleration across the industry. And that's weighing on the stocks. I get that. That's totally fine and fair, but I'm of the opinion that the economic outlook improves in 2023 and that as a result of that, enterprises are going to re-up budgets in 2023. You got to remember, stock market looks forward. It's forward looking by six to 12 months. So, this is the collapse we've seen in software stocks over the past six to 12 months as a result of what we're seeing right now, and we'll probably see over the next two, three, four months of the economy slowing, enterprises cutting back budgets, revenue growth decelerating. How enterprise software stocks act over the next six to 12 months will be reflective of what happens over the next. 12 to 24 months. And I think in that time period, the outlook gets exceptionally better, that you're going to see the economic outlook improve. You're going to see enterprise software companies or enterprises start to re-up their budgets, enterprise software spending re-accelerate, and enterprise software revenue growth rates re-accelerate as well, which will lead to those stocks going significantly higher. So I actually really like software stocks going into 2023. I think they're highly defensive in nature because, yes, they are reliant on enterprise spending, but a lot of these and the ones I'm buying are the ones that I believe provide mission critical software services. So things like cybersecurity, things like team collaboration, things that you need as a, as a, Uh, as a company in order to continue your operations that even if you know shit hits the fan you still need to safeguard your data even if shit Mm -hmm. hits the fan you still need your teams to be able to collaborate and work together to produce positive outcomes for your business so i think a lot of these software providers provide mission critical services that while enterprises may be able to cut back slightly on spend on those platforms. They won't be able to cut back much without shooting themselves in the foot. And these companies aren't going to shoot themselves in the foot. So I think enterprise software spending has a pretty high floor. And because of that, I think we're, I think we're very close to that floor. I think these stocks are very close to their floor in terms of valuations, enterprise software stocks are now about as cheap as they've ever been in the past 15 years. I like that setup. And then on top of all that, just think about the nature of these businesses. Pretty much all of them operate at 70 or 80% gross margins. Pretty much all of them operate at 20 or 30% operating margins. Pretty much all of them operate at 20% or better free cash flow margins with very low capex. Pretty much all of them have a ton of cash on the balance sheet. Pretty much all of them have almost no debt on the balance sheet. These are financial utopian companies. They are cash flow (laughs) machines. They turn revenues into cash. They turn revenues into cash. They turn revenues into cash. And they aren't encumbered by debt on the balance sheet. So these are really high-quality firms, very defensive firms. Their stocks are trading very low, and they have exceptional long-term growth outlooks based on digital transformations that are happening everywhere. We're seeing in commentary, you go through the Zscaler report, you go through um, a report from – you know something like Samsara, you go through those reports and you read the commentary, and the commentary is, "Yeah, there's macroeconomic uncertainty. yeah, you know, we're seeing you know, more scrutiny over deals, longer review times, longer deal close times. Yeah, that's happening. But at the end of the day, we're actually signing much bigger deals and longer deals because these companies, after those reviews, are coming to the conclusion, um, I need you more than ever to run my business in this environment." I, I need hmm. your software more than ever. That's a positive. Hmm. I don't care if the market interprets that as a negative because it means, you know, revenues get pushed out a few quarters. I know, no, that is a long term positive. If in a tough time, a company reviews your product and says, I need you more than ever. So I'm going to sign the biggest contract ever with you. That is a positive for your business. And so I think we're hmm. seeing a lot of that happening among the high quality software names, I'm a buyer of those, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, of those stocks on recent weakness. I think they have a really strong bounce back in 2023 and from current levels have massive upside potential over the next few years.
1: All right. Uh, well, that covers all of our topics, uh, but we definitely have a few fan questions. Uh, I want to start off with Ronnie Lar. Love to hear your thoughts. Uh, love to hear your takes on Arrival and Boxed Inc. Being that they are currently on life support. Any word on a quantum ai defibrillator in the works that can bring these two back to life thanks happy holidays
0: um i don't have any uh comments on box i I haven't followed that company in a very, very, very long time. So I any mm-hmm. comments I would have on them are completely outdated and antiquated. So I, I, I try to only speak on things I know, and I don't know Box that well. So sorry, I, I can't answer that question. But I can speak on Arrival. And uh, Arrival to me is is a really sad story because you have a technology that is super promising, an idea that is exceptionally profound. And I think they, they could execute it. But the cash flow situation is just – it's so burdensome um, and they, they, they're burning through a lot to make it happen. Uh, it, it's a moonshot bet at this point. And hmm. it becomes tough to take a bet on a moonshot at this point in time in the economy that we're in with rates where they are. They're going to need a lot more capital. That means they're either going to have to tap the debt markets at very unfavorable terms And, or they're going to just probably more likely raise a bunch more capital through an equity offering, which is going to dilute shareholders. So I think arrival in the long run has a ton of potential, but I think in the short term, it's, it's a mess, it's a mess. And let's just figure out, let's let them raise capital. Let's let them start producing cars. Let's let them prove that they have the execution here. And then once they do that, then I think the stock becomes a a tremendous buy. But until those things happen, the stock's going to keep languishing and and keep making new all-time lows. and It's going to be a tough situation. So I love the technology. I love the company. It's just the stock and the business at this point in time are under pressure you probably want to stay away for now. If you own it, maybe don't sell it. But um, I wouldn't go in there and say, okay, time to buy the dip on Arrival. I, I, mm-hmm. wouldn't, I wouldn't say that at, at all. I would say <laughs> just wait and, and let them raise more capital. Let them produce cars. Let them prove themselves. Maybe you miss out on a big rally from $0.35 cents to $0.70. Cents, but if this works, if what they're doing actually becomes a commercial reality, you know, this is a hundred dollar stock one day. So it, it's not, you know, playing it from 35 to 70, 70 cents to a buck. That's, that's not what we want to do. It's probably best to take some risk off the table. Let it prove itself. Let the stock go from 35 cents to a buck, buck 50. And then if it does that, it's probably because there's strong execution. And that's probably when you want to rejoin the rally, ride it from a buck 52 bucks up to 10, 20, 30, 40. So that's a strategy I would have with a rival right now um, and going forward.
1: Okay. Uh, and our second question from Mark Richardson. Mark from England would like to know if you like any UK stocks. P.S. I agree with you about Turkey.
0: Uh, <laughs> UK stocks. Um, Arrival <laughs> is, that's funny, you know, that's a UK company. Uh, UK stocks. Okay, I'll, I'll throw one out there. Um, a, a moonshot bet on genomic sequencing that is a rival to Illumina and uh, has a technology which they claim is a lot faster and cheaper than what Illumina has and can basically put genomic sequences in the palm of anyone's hand. Uh, and that company is Oxford Nanopore. Uh, the U.S. listed ticker is ONTTF. Um, I believe on uh, in the London Exchange it's ONT. I'm not 100% sure. Um, But Oxford Nanopore, that's a UK stock that I think is interesting. Um, It's been basing for a while, ONTTF has at uh, depressed levels. Um, It looks like it wants to stage a big rebound. I like the technology. I like the company. I like the people behind it. I like the story. I think there's a lot of potential there. Um, So if you're looking for a UK stock specifically, um, Oxford Nanopore is is an interesting name that has potentially massive long-term upside.
1: Okay. Uh, well, that kind of wraps everything. Great insights for our listeners and HCI investors. As always, Luke, we talked a lot about AI today, but do you have any last words before we wrap? Uh, yeah. I mean, I just, you know, I just like look at things big picture. You know, that's what I try to always try to
0: always do, pride myself in being able to do. So it's easy when you're in the market to get sucked into the day to day and all this stuff. And I, I honestly, when you look at that big picture, I'm just I am so unconcerned about inflation. It's almost laughable. <laughs> like it's, it's, First off, all the leading indicators show that inflation is, is crashing and well crashed in 2023. But uh, bigger picture, five, 10-year outlook, you don't have inflation in a world where we have software that can produce everything and anything at the, the, the click of a mouse, the, the type of a, of a key, the snap of a finger. You don't have inflation when you have, you know, machine or uh, factories of robots building and building and building and building electric vehicles or, or shipping products or packaging products, whatever it may be. You, just, you don't have inflation in that world. You, you just don't. And so I think the inflation crisis that we're seeing right now is a, a COVID aftershock effect that the pandemic mm-hmm. – we have to think about that really. Just think about that, contextualize that. The a global economy stopped in march of 2020 and april of 2020 it stopped it stone cold stopped moving like we saw pictures of paris of of uh, times square of mm-hmm. shanghai pictures that you'll never see again in your life and that pictures bef- the people before us never saw there's never been a picture of times square at noon completely empty outside of march and april 2020 One time in the history of of ever did that happen. So, Mm you know, it's not too weird to think that, yeah, as a result of that, it created a lot of aftershocks that two years later, we're still, you know, two and a half years later, almost three years later, we're still dealing with. But the bull thesis is that um, inflation is the last aftershock that we're dealing with of the pandemic. You know, we have the supply chain complete screw-ups and and, and lockdowns. We had the pent-up consumer demand, but that pent-up consumer demand has waned People have done what they needed to do. Now people are worried about spending. Now they're pulling back. So pent-up consumer demand has kind of run its course. Supply chains are now normalizing. And by 2023, I think it'll be completely normal because China's reopening. So I think you're looking at 2023 where the, the inflation COVID aftershock will have completely washed through the system. We'll have gone through a period of massive, massively low inflation, massively high inflation, and then we're back on trend. It normalizes. And so that that's how i look at these things and i'm completely unconcerned about inflation i think 2023 is a year where inflation comes crashing down and now the only thing you have to worry about with respect to the market is okay um are we also going to get a recession in in that process and and we might Mm -hmm. we may but you know the thing about recessions is recessions happen and then we bounce back from them and then we enter a period of prolonged growth so um the question of whether or not we get a recession is only important if you're invested for less than 12 months And I'm not. So I think a recession is not going to happen. I think if we do get a recession, it's going to be mild. But either way, I think stocks are higher in 12 months. And I think they're significantly higher in in 24, 36, 48 months. So you got to be a buyer of stocks here if you're a long-term investor. I think it's it's that simple. Um, There's only one fact that matters. If you buy stocks down more than 25% and you hold them for more than five years, you make money. Plain and simple. (laughs) You know, plain and simple. So I think you have to do that. And um, you got to ignore all the day to day, blah, blah, blah. I know I'm plugged into it um, and I'm plugged into it because I need to be plugged into it. But I think your regular investment mm-hmm. doesn't need to be plugged into it. You don't need to be plugged into it. You need to buy great companies at big discounts and then hold them. And I, I think you have an opportunity mm-hmm. for that today, more so than you've had uh, in the past, you know, ever since really the Great Financial
1: crisis of 2008. So that's mm-hmm. those are my parting words. Okay. Uh, well, thank you for everybody for listening. Please, if you have any questions or comments for Luke, leave them in the comments section below. We love to hear your feedback on any topics you'd like to discover. And as always, see if we can answer any of your burning questions. As always, please don't forget to like and subscribe and we will see you all next week. Until then, bye all.